to this week's edition of Reading Beijing, where we talk about the political and strategic implications of China's role in the Middle East and the wider world. I'm Bill Figueroa, your very own Bill in the China Shop, and today I'll be talking about the strategic partnership announced between China and Syria, which came out during Syrian President Bashar al-Assad's recent trip to Hangzhou. We'll discuss the context of this announcement, its likely ramifications, and at the end, I'll put this news in the context of the larger story of China-Middle East relations. So without any further ado or pointless rambling, let's begin. Bashar al-Assad has had a rough decade, to say the least, but on September 22, 2023, the future must have seemed bright for the once disgraced Syrian president as he posed shaking hands with Xi Jinping at the West Lake State Guesthouse in Hangzhou, China. Ostensibly in China to attend the 19th Asian Games, he scored a major political goal himself when he and Xi jointly announced a strategic partnership between the two countries. Syria is the latest in a series of diplomatic developments in the region involving China, and Beijing is eager to deepen its ties with Middle Eastern countries and to reap the benefits of its growing reputation in the wake of the Beijing-brokered Iran-Saudi agreement. According to Xinhua News Agency, Xi reaffirmed the historical ties between the two nations and expressed China's commitment to further strengthening their relationship. China pledged support for Syria on matters related to its core interests and its major concerns, including defending Syria's sovereignty and territorial integrity, assisting in post-conflict reconstruction, enhancing anti-terrorism efforts, and promoting a political resolution to the Syrian conflict. Additionally, China expressed its intention to cooperate with Syria in initiatives such as the Belt and Road Initiative, increase Chinese imports of agricultural products from Syria, and work together on various global development, security, and civilizational initiatives. For his part, Bashar praised China's achievements and its, quote, principled stance on international issues, meaning, reading between the lines, its support for the Syrian government in the ongoing civil war. Assad thanked China for its valuable support to the Syrian people and opposed any interference in China's internal affairs, while pledging to support Chinese initiatives aimed at fostering cooperation, security, and prosperity worldwide. He also backed various Chinese positions, including the One China Principle, something that earned him a resounding condemnation from Taiwan. China has a longer history of courting Syria that began as early as 1946, but in the modern era, the most recent rounds of relations dates back to 2017, when it first invited the war-torn nation to join the Belt and Road Initiative. Since then, the Syrian government has endlessly repeated its interest in closer cooperation with Beijing. But so far, no concrete projects or significant commitments have emerged. Syria did finally join the BRI in 2022, but without any major flagship project announced or significant investment deals. So far, Syria has seemed closer to Iran in terms of China's investment strategy, meaning that it's a great place to invest in theory, but the instability or international situation prevents Beijing from committing to the levels of investment seen in neighboring countries like Iraq and Saudi Arabia. The joint statement released by the two sides continued this pattern. It was devoid of any specific proposals, as is the norm for Chinese memoranda of understanding, 
but it did place a strong emphasis on China's support for Bashar's return to the international fold and China's support for regional diplomatic and economic cooperation organizations, including the Arab League and the China-Arab States Cooperation Forum. This comes as no surprise, as these organizations are the cornerstone and foundation of China's strategy in the Middle East. The most likely area for cooperation in the future would be China's involvement in the reconstruction efforts of the war-torn nation, especially if the civil war is brought to an end with a victory for Bashar al-Assad. Xi has signaled as much, specifying in his remarks that China will, quote, support Syria's reconstruction in his laundry list of possible areas for cooperation. Uh, this is maybe the closest thing to a concrete policy proposal. He also called on the West to, quote, lift its illegal unilateral sanctions on Syria, which obviously are a hindrance to any reconstruction efforts or efforts for the Chinese state to build a enduring economic relationship with Syria. It's worth noting that participating in the reconstruction efforts would definitely position China extremely well to reap the benefits of a renewed Syrian economy in the future, including its oil industry, and create strong linkages with their own international economic efforts, so China may be playing the long game here. China's involvement with Syria is also the latest in its ongoing efforts to deepen ties in the Middle East, which it's been casting as part of the larger tidal wave of peace that Beijing claims is the result of its recent regional diplomacy and efforts to bring together Iran and Saudi Arabia. Tehran and Riyadh's recent exchange of ambassadors several weeks ago was indeed the culmination of these efforts, which have been repeatedly promoted in the Chinese media as an example of China's successful international diplomacy. Of course, the rehabilitation of Assad, much like the rapprochement between Iran and Saudi Arabia, was already in the works before China got involved, and was largely driven by events on the ground and in the region. But the fact that both Syria and Saudi Arabia have now turned to China to bolster its uh, diplomatic efforts speaks to China's growing clout in the region as a source of legitimacy and prestige. It also, to a certain extent, indicates the limitations of U.S. power in the region, as Washington has fought hard to prevent Assad from returning to the fold. Still, we should be cautious in predicting the replacement of the Washington Consensus with some kind of Beijing-led security architecture, as China still lacks both the capability and appetite for such a strategy. But the region is looking increasingly bipolar, although multipolarity is still nowhere in sight. Once again, like the heady days of the Cold War, when the US and the Soviet Union, and to a lesser extent China, were jockeying to outdo one another in providing economic and military aid to strategically significant non-aligned nations, now China and the former Soviet Union seem to have traded places, with China playing the leading role and Russia occasionally joining as a supporting actor. While for the moment, the United States remains the predominant power in the region, China is playing an important role as an alternative to U.S. diplomatic prestige and economic support. In other words, things that may not have seemed possible without U.S. support now seem like they may be possible with Chinese support. But Chinese power, too, has limits, and much more fundamental and significant ones than Washington. It has largely been riding on the wave of various regional developments so far. But as a source of development dollars, 
as an oil customer, especially to countries like Iran, who are under sanctions, and as a source of legitimacy to underwrite various agreements, it certainly has found an important niche in the politics of the Middle East, one that didn't really exist a decade ago, at least not to such a significant degree, and one which seems to be largely welcomed by the Middle Eastern elites and regional governments. The Middle East is also increasingly becoming a site of U.S.-China competition, especially as tensions continue to rise between Washington and Beijing. Last month, reports emerged that the United States prevented the export of certain AI technologies to the Middle East via chip manufacturers AMD and NVIDIA. And while the U.S. denies it, NVIDIA's business records suggest otherwise. Other reports have emerged that seem to indicate that China had political motivations for blocking U.S.-based manufacturer Intel from acquiring Israeli-based Tower Semiconductors Incorporated. It seems likely that the main concern here, at least from the U.S. perspective, is over the close relationship many Middle Eastern states have with China, especially Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states. The U.S. may also have good reason to be concerned about the behavior of even its close allies in the region, uh, at least in this respect, as China has acquired technology that the United States was reluctant to share from Middle Eastern countries before, uh, notably from Israel in the 1980s and 1990s. More recently, the United States imposed sanctions on several Chinese companies, uh, as well as Turkish and other companies, that supplied parts for Iranian drones that were sold to Russia, which is highlighting the United States' growing discontent with what might be thought of as the Iran-China-Russia triangle, although cooperation between the three has remained limited so far. While some have suggested that the U.S.-China rivalry will have a stabilizing effect on the region, I think that might be attributing a bit too much influence to U.S. and Chinese actions on recent events. But there is some truth to the fact that, at least for now, there hasn't been the kind of hostile competition that characterized the Cold War. But with temperatures rising, it would be easy for that competition to turn to less stabilizing activities. China is increasingly a major provider of both weapons and surveillance technology, and of course so is the United States. And the more active China becomes in the region, the greater the risk for an aggressive response on the part of the United States, uh, as was recently seen by the seizure of a China-bound oil tanker a couple of months ago. And that's exactly the kind of thing that can easily get out of hand. So let's hope that everybody sticks to economic competition for the near future. Reading Beijing is part of the Pursu Media Minutes podcast series, which you can find on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Pursu Media itself provides media research, open source intelligence, analysis, AI-driven analytics, and strategic communications consultancy. You can find out more about the services Pursu Media offers by checking out their website, pursumedia.com, or finding them on LinkedIn or Twitter under at Media. Until next time, my name is Bill Figueroa, your Bill in the China Shop, and this has been Reading Beijing.